undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not, not, you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, attaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Verse 10. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that it was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's pray. So Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for First Peter. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that this passage is meant to encourage us, uh, to, uh, to call us, Lord, to, to action, to um, press upon us the importance, Lord, to persevere in the midst of suffering, to remember, to remind ourselves, to continue to study and read, that we have our hope in Christ, that we have a salvation in Christ that is guarded and kept, secured for us, and by that we have joy. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand that important truth this, this evening. We pray for those who are not with us. We pray as they're watching online or whatever they're doing, Lord, we pray that you would encourage them and be with them. We love you, Lord. We praise you. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Those are good amen. Thanks. Those are good. Um, all right. Uh, this is obviously going to look a di- little bit different than Sunday morning. It's going to be heavy on just kind of going through the text and, and teaching. Um, but I do kind of have a main point here. Um, joyful love and faith in Christ produces contentment in the midst of suffering as we anticipate the completion of our glorious salvation in Christ. Joyful Love and faith in Christ produces contentment in the midst of suffering as we anticipate the completion of our glorious salvation in Christ. So looking at verse 3 through 6, we look at the joy of our promised inheritance. The joy of our promised inheritance. Basically, Peter is telling the, the, you know, the church, uh, these churches in Asia, uh, these that he has been... He's writing to here, those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, um, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, may the grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. God deserves your praise. He's telling the readers, he's telling his, these churches in Asia, and also to us as, as, as 21st century Christians, to glorify, to praise God for his salvation. He's about to unpack why God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, deserves praise. Because he caused us to be born again, to be regenerated. Uh, he talks about this in verse 23 of chapter 1. Uh, uh, let me look at that here. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. You have been regenerated. You've been caused to You've been born again. He has produced new life in you, and this new life is imperishable, unlike the perishable seed, but our, 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 our birth into sin, we have, been, uh, we have been reborn. This is not credited to us. We, uh, as a child, does not get credit for being born, right? We don't give a child credit for birth. We give mothers the credit. Right? We, we give them kind of the praise. We don't give children the praise for being born. Same with our salvation in Christ. We don't deserve any of the credits. God deserves all the praise for our rebirth, for our regeneration. God produces new life in you. He produces this life in you. It's by his power. It's by his will. It's by his mercy, by his love, by his grace. You have been caused to live again, to be, to be regenerated, to be born again. And this is because of his great mercy. Right? You deserve judgment because of your sin. You deserve judgment. Uh, P- Paul says this in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. Talking also about God's great love and mercy. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You are dead in your trespasses. You are a child of wrath, right? You followed the course of this world. You deserve judgment by God. You deserve wrath by God. However, because of God's great mercy, he has caused you to be born again. He has caused you to be born again. He has made you new. And you experience the joy of your rebirth. You you experience the joy of being born again, being given new life in Christ. He says that you've been caused to be born again to, 
a living hope. And basically, Peter kind of gives like three different, uh, you've, been, you've, been, you've been caused to be born again to three different things. And the first one is to a living hope in verse 3. In verse 4, he says, you've been caused to be born again to an inheritance. In verse 5, he says, you've been caused to be born again to, and, uh, to a salvation. So let's look at living hope here. You've been caused to be born again by the mercy of God to a living hope. Not a dead hope, not a empty or vain hope, but a living hope. It's important that we understand why Peter describes our hope as living. We've been caused to be born again by the great mercy of God to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We can kind of confidence in this living hope. We can have confidence in our, in our rebirth because of Christ's resurrection from the dead, right? The importance of putting from the dead. Jesus died on the cross, and on the third day, he rose again from the dead, right? Because by his resurrection from the dead, by conquering sin and death, we have a living hope. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Romans 8, verse 18. I love Romans 8. Like, I, it's one of my favorite, just my favorite chapter of the Bible, but Verse 18 is so great. I always go back to this verse so often in my life. But Romans 8, verse, uh, Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is be, to be revealed to us. The foundation of this passage, the foundation of what Peter is saying is the resurrection of Christ. If Christ doesn't raise from the dead, we do not have a loving hope. If Christ isn't raised from the dead, we do not have rebirth. Everything is grounded in the re resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why Easter is so important. That's why when Paul says it's a, we should be pitied amongst everyone if Christ doesn't raise from the dead, our foundation of our salvation, the foundation of our faith is the resurrection of Christ from the dead. 1 Peter 1, verse 21 Therefore, put away all, oh my, that's James, 1 Peter. And this massive Bible still went to the wrong passage. First uh, Peter 1, 21. Who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. If Christ is not raised from the dead, and he is not given glory, he doesn't triumph over sin and death and over the enemies of God, you would not have hope and you would not have faith in God. And so you've been caused to be born again by, according to the great mercy of God, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and you've been caused to be uh, reborn to an inheritance. Now, when we think of the inheritance, a lot of times in the Old Testament, we think of the land, right? The, the promised land, right? The, for Israel, the promised land was everything. The land promised to Abraham meant everything to them, everything to them. It still means everything to them, right? Why do you think, like, when Israel got the, their land again in 1948, why that was such a significant thing for Jews? Because everything is tied to the land. Their inheritance is tied to the land. The land that goes from the Mediterranean Sea to the, to the, to the Jordan River, all the way to the, to the 
to the south there with the Sinai Peninsula, all the way up to Lebanon, that area near Syria. All that land is connected to their inheritance. But we know from beginning of 1 Peter here, in verse, in verse 1 of 1 Peter, of chapter 1, verse 1, that Peter is speaking to elect exiles, that those who are Christians who are stranger and aliens in the world, Right? And so our inheritance is not tied to a particular portion of land like the Old Testament, uh, uh, the Old Testament Jews were. But our inheritance is tied to something quite great, actually greater than the inheritance that was tied to the Jews. Uh, Peter says here that our inheritance is, is imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading. Our, our inheritance cannot be corrupted in any way. Our, our inheritance can't be uh, filthy or made filthy or, or polluted in any way. It will never go away. It will never die. It will never cease to exist. It will always be there. It always will be present. Unlike the land of Israel and the Jews, right? It was taken away from them, right? It was defiled at different times because of their sin and their idolatry. But we have an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you all, for us, we who are in Christ, who have been born again by God according to his mercy, who have a living hope, have an inheritance that is kept for us in heaven by God. And even the, the, my thinking when you read this, you're like, well, if I have an inheritance, if I have an inheritance that God has given me, well, obviously, knowing who I am, I'm going to somehow ruin that. I'm going to somehow find a way to ruin it because of who I am, because of my, my sinfulness, my weakness, because of my sinful habits. I'm, I'm going to ruin it. There's no way that I can uphold what is required from me to keep this inheritance. And that was the problem with Israel, right? They get, were given this land. They were told to be, to be faithful to the law. They couldn't be faithful to the law. And so what happened? They lost their inheritance. They lost the land. Well, are we any different than them? No, not really. As Pastor Denton said, we're just sheep, right? We're just dumb sheep, ultimately. So how can we have an inheritance that's unperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us? Well, Peter tells us. He says, you who by God's power are being guarded. So we, this, this inheritance that has, been, that has been given to us, that we have... Because we've been born again by God, not because of something we've done, but because God has produced rebirth in us, we have this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, according to the mercy of God. So by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Salvation and inheritance are similar words. So when you see salvation, think of also inheritance. So how are we going to have how are we going to achieve this salvation? How are we going to achieve this inheritance? How are we not going to mess it up? How, how can we get to the last days? How can we get to the last times to be revealed? We're just going to mess it up. How are we going to receive this full nature of our salvation? How can we anticipate something that we feel like, you know what, how can we possibly uphold this? How can we possibly not ruin this? This is where the hope comes in. This is where the encouragement comes in, is that the certainty of this salvation, it's been guarded by God's power. It's preserved for us. 
through faith. So we are called to have persistent faith. As we'll later on, we'll talk about here is that it's mostly in the context of suffering and various trials. Would you would think that if we're going to be put into trials, if we're going to be put into suffering, well, that's obviously when we're going to like forsake the faith, and then we're going to go away from God, and we're going to ruin everything, and the inheritance will be taken away from us. But it's important that we're told here that God protects us, that God protects us from falling away. That's why, you know, that's why we as pastors uh, are always encouraging people, and you should encourage people as well, to always continue to be involved in Christian community, right? To continue to be involved in worship with a local body of believers, to be constantly in God's Word, to constantly be praying. These are the means, the biblical means, of God's protection through faith. The whole, God uses these means, he, he uses the Holy Spirit through these means to protect you from falling away. You, you know it when people fall away, right? It's when people stop coming to church, they stop getting involved in Christian community, they stop reading their Bible, they stop praying. What typically happens? They fall away. They fall away. God protects us through these means. Because what ends up happening, when people fall away, what they, what they end up doing is they stop coming to hear God's word, they, they stop reading God's word, they stop praying to God, and then what ends up happening, they don't repent of sin. What ends up, what, why do people not repent of sin? There's unbelief in their heart. Don't, they don't truly trust the God's word, they don't truly trust the gospel. God cannot be trusted. I gotta look out for myself. Faith is a gift of God. You realize that, right? Your faith is by God. God gives you faith. And that continual faith is by God. And God, when, you, when you're involved in church, when you're involved in worship, when you're involved in Bible studies, when you're involved in reading God's word regularly, when you're involved in prayer, God uses those means through his Holy Spirit to keep you from falling away. And that's why you should always, if you know someone, a friend, someone that you know is a Christian who claims to be a Christian, and they stop going to church, and they stop reading God's word, plead with them Plead with them to get back into God's Word. Plead with them to get back into community with other believers. Because if they don't, they'll have unrepentant sin, unbelief will happen in their hearts, and they will fall away. They will. This, this, this idea of God's power guarding you is a fortification. God is building walls around your heart. He's building walls around you so that you don't fall away. The second point is this, is that the joy of our new birth in suffering. The joy of our new birth in suffering. This is verse 6 through 9. Again, going back to, to chapter 1, verse 1, that God's elected exiled. We're strangers in the world. We're strangers, aliens in this, this world that hates God. Right? We've been elected. We have been chosen. We have been given faith. We've been given salvation in Christ. But yet we live in a world that hates God and hates Christ. So obviously we're going to suffer, we're going to be persecuted. Why? Because we are God's people. And we've been caused to be born again to a living hope, to an inheritance, to salvation. In this, you rejoice. You rejoice in what? Your salvation. You don't rejoice because you happen to, you know, hang out with some cool people. We, we don't rejoice, we don't praise God because, oh, I'm surrounded by cool people. We, we, we worship and praise God because we've been saved by Christ. 
in this, your salvation, your inheritance, your living hope, you've been born again by God's mercy, you rejoice. This is the focus. The focus is on salvation. As exiles, as strangers, we're journeying to our anticipated glory with joy. However, as strangers, as exiles, our current context, we suffer. We rejoice in this suffering, despite suffering, though now for a little while. Why does he use the word a little while? He's not saying that our suffering will be brief. It's not saying, well, yeah, 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 you will suffer for like a few months. That's what it means by brief. No, in comparison to eternal life, it's a short time. It's important to know that. You could, as a Christian, suffer your whole life. You could die as a martyr. Well, he said I was only going to suffer for a, suffer for a, few, for, for a short amount of time. Well, in comparison to the eternal glory, it is a short amount of time. As we gaze on our future inheritance, on our future hope in Christ, this eternal reality with God, then the sufferings of this word, world are, you can't even compare them to the glories and the eternal glory of heaven. It even says here, if necessary, this is the will of God, we will suffer. 1 Peter verse, chapter 4, verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is according to God's will. We are going to suffer. And why does, why do we suffer as Christians? Why, Peter even brings this out here in this, in this paragraph. He said, so that the tested genuineness of your faith. Is your faith genuine? That's a great question to ask yourself. Is your faith genuine? Or is it just simply feelings? Did you just simply have a moment at a youth camp and you got all fuzzies and the, and the teacher was so compelling that he got you to walk down the aisle and, and confess your sin and ask Jesus into your heart? And oh, I was a Christian. And you ask yourself, years down the road, that feeling has gone away, that youth event has ceased to kind of be in your memory anymore, and you're like, I don't know if I actually believe this stuff. Is my faith actually genuine? Well, the way to prove your genuineness of your faith is in the time of trials, the time of suffering. And I like, you know, suffering is a hard word for us to wrap our heads around because do we really suffer? I don't know. Maybe some of you probably experienced some extreme suffering. A family member passed away. Uh, some other extreme sufferings, like sickness and health. Um, I don't think any of you in this room have ever been in a situation where you were basically like put in prison because of your faith. If that, if you had, let's let's like let's get coffee and tell me that story, because I don't think I've anyone in this room has ever had that. But I, I've actually had been gone to prison, not prison. No, I, I went to a jail place, but not because of my faith, because I was in a different country and one of my friends got money stolen from him. But anything, uh, yeah. But anything because of my faith. I've never been thrown in prison, or or put a gun to my head because of my faith. So I'm going to use the word, and, and if I'm wrong, I, I apologize. But I think maybe this word goes along more with where our where we are, what we experience is stress. I think that's a fair word. That sometimes when we are stressed out, we feel like we're kind of suffering. And I think those times are when we tend to fail in our faith. Where do you go when you're, when you're stressed out? Uh, who do you trust when you're stressed out? What do you believe about God, about yourself when you're stressed? And who do you love? Or what do you love in times of stress? It's usually, when you talk to people and they struggle with 
uh, certain addictions, it typically comes out when? When they're stressed, right? When they're stressed. And it tells you that, that maybe they need to start thinking of it differently, is that this is a, a, a climate, or a, it's a context in my life where I am kind of suffering. I'm stressed out by work or, or whatever things that are held against me or held over me or, th- or responsibilities or tasks that I have to finish. And who am I going to in those, in those trials? Where am I going in those situations? And that may tell you if your faith is actually genuine. The arena to build and strengthen your faithfulness is trials. And these trials are various, as Peter says. They're various trials. He's not saying there's one particular trial that will prove your faith. That's if you're, uh, you know, martyred or someone threatens to kill you. That's only when faith is proven. No, no, it's various trials, various trials. So it's very more more general in the sense of what those contexts look like. There could be different for each of us in different contexts and where we are. But what, who are we going to? Who are we loving? Who, what are we believing? And if we are believing in Christ, if we're being faithful to him in those times, it builds and strengthens our faithfulness. That's why it's so important. Unfortunately, at our church, we don't have very many of these people. Um, we don't have wise, older believers. Why? Because they've been through life, right? They've been through the trials of life. They've been through the trials of of job loss, of, of, of illnesses and sickness, or the loss of a family member, or whatever the trials are, they've experienced it, and they can tell us how they got through it, through faith in God, right? We need those stories. We need those tales. It builds our faith, and it helps us to understand how we get through those situations. Faithfulness proved, proven through suffering and trials of various kinds. Even Peter even says it's more valuable than gold. The strengthening of your faith in the time of suffering is more valuable than gold. God values faithfulness in the midst of suffering above anything else. So therefore we should value it more than anything else. As Pastor Ditton said this morning, like what do do we rejoice in the things that God rejoices in? Do we value the things that God values? And God values faithfulness in the midst of trial. Therefore, we should value that in ourselves and for others. We shouldn't encourage people when they're going through trials, oh, we'll just pray that God gets you out of the trial. No, 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 no. We should pray that they are more faithful to God in the midst of the trial. We never pray that, do we? We just pray that people will get out of trials. But God is saying trials are good. Actually, suffering is good. Why? Because it proves the genuineness of your faith. And actually, the, the being prudentness of the genuineness of your faith and the strengthening of your faith is more valuable than gold. Wow. What a perspective that we probably lack. Even, even to go a little bit further, but like gold, which is refined in fire, so too is your faith. God's guard, guarding, guarding power we trust in God's will. We trust in his means which strengthen our faith, and therefore we rejoice. We rejoice in God's will. We rejoice in God's means and God's agency in our life and his power in our life. We rejoice. Even in the midst of sufferings and various trials, during various times of stress, we rejoice. Why? Because in those times, God is strengthening us. God is proving that we are genuine, genuine in our faith. He even ends here with maybe found to result 
that God examines the life of each person. And faith is proven genuine through testing, and by this God rewards them with praise and glory and honor. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Glory and honor. Why? Because we were faithful to God in the midst of trials. What was the problem with Israel? They always failed in the midst of trials. Right? They sent the, uh, the spies into the land. Oh, they're too big. There's no way we could conquer them. What did they do? They were unfaithful. They didn't but trust God. They didn't trust Him. We should go back to Egypt. And therefore, they weren't rewarded, were they, for their unfaithfulness. They were actually punished for their unfaithfulness. Obedience and faithfulness to God in the midst of trials, in the midst of suffering, is so important. And by that, God rewards those who are faithful to Him. And it says that at the second coming of Christ, this is when it's revealed. And I love this. If you read this right, it's so interesting. He says um, here at the end of, of verse 8, of verse 7, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's so interesting about that is that Jesus is with us. We just don't see him. But he will eventually in the end be revealed to us. That he's always been with us and now we can see him. And it's really significant. And we do see him when he is revealed to us. We shall receive the praise and glory and honor. And we anticipate seeing him. Even though right now we don't see him in verse 8, but we love him. We're filled with love for Christ Jesus. This uh, remarkable about this this. But innocent love, you know, children love so well, do they do. As we get older, as we become adults, we don't love as well as we, as we were when we were children. Children love with this unconditional love. They just want to be with their parents. They want to love. They want to be loved. It's, just a, it's a wonderful thing for us who have, who have kids. It reminds us what it was like to be a child. The, and the, what Peter is saying here in verse 8 is that even though we don't see him, we are filled with love for him. Filled with love. Even though you don't see him, you believe him. This wonder and love and this belief, even though they don't, we don't see Christ, we wonder and praise him. We find joy in him. We love him. We trust and believe him. We trust in his word. And it brings, it brings joy. It says uh, in verse 9 here, I'm sorry, in the end of verse 8, Though you do not see him, you believe in him, and rejoice with joy that is unexpressible and filled with glory. Filled with joy. It's unexpressible. You can't even use words to express your joy. Usually when we're happy about something, we can say, I'm happy, or we'll yell. But this is saying we're so happy, there's so much joy that, we, that words don't even help. A song is, is not going to be helpful in expressing our joy. When we see Christ, filled with glory. This is like a taste of heaven. Despite suffering, we're strengthened by our faith. We marvel at God's love and mercy and faithfulness. And I think it's important when we think through this that we need to teach our children or our people around us where our hope and joy come from. I think as Christians, we really fail at this because we, we basically express through our words and action that our true joy comes from our work or it comes through getting more or better things, either a better car, a better house, whatever it is, a better vacation, 
And we express that in our words because we're kind of sloppy, aren't we, sometimes with our words and what we think and how we express ourselves. And actually what we're doing is we're telling people that really our true joy doesn't come through Christ. And I think it's important, especially if you have children, to not doctrinate your kids in the same way. Daddy seems down. Why is he down? Oh, he had a, you know, work has been hard. It's important that we teach our children, we teach people that our joy comes through Christ, regardless of what's going on in our life. Because you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your soul, the prospect of future salvation kept in heaven for us, guarded by God's power. God gives us joy not in our future. In our joy, God gives us joy now in our future salvation. We experience now the joy of our salvation, the taste of the glory to come. I, I want to express this quite quickly here: the importance of contentment in this passage. Um, I was I gave uh, Ditton and Robert this book, and I bought one for myself as well. Uh, the book called Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And the writer, Jeremiah Burroughs, says, Christian is the most contented man in the world, and yet the most unsatisfied man in the world. We're content with any, any low condition, yet if God should give him the kingdoms and empires and all the worlds to rule, he would not be satisfied with that. And I think what, what, what the writer is saying is, is that even if we have nothing but bread and water to eat, but we have Christ. We're content because we have Christ. And everything else in comparison to Christ is not worth comparison. But even if we had everything we ever wanted and all the desires of our heart, if we had everything that we wanted, as he says, all the kingdoms of the world, we wouldn't be satisfied because in comparison to Christ, it's not, it's not, worth, it's not worth even comparison. It's not, it's, you can't even, the value of Christ is so much higher than all the riches of the world. I think they should teach us something that if we are in Christ and we have a living hope in Christ and we have an inheritance in Christ and we have been born again in Christ, we have salvation in Christ, even in the midst of suffering, even when we have nothing but Christ, we are content and we can have joy. But even if we had everything in the world, it shouldn't make us any more happy. Why? Because we have Christ and there isn't any difference between the two because we have Christ. Because that's where our true joy is. The last point, I'm going to be quick with this. I know we're running out of time. The marveling of God's great salvation. The marveling of, great, of God's great salvation. Verse 10 and 12. It says that, uh, Peter says, concerning this salvation. So he's talking about the salvation he's already been expressing through verses 3 through 6. 3, 3 through 9. He says, concerning this salvation... The prophets were prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and acquired carefully, acquiring what person or time and spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the suffering of Christ and the subsequent glory. So what is he talking about? What prophets? So he's talking about the Old Testament prophets and how the Old Testament prophets prophesied about this day, about this salvation that now has come not only to the Christians in Asia, but to all the Christians around the world. This salvation that was rooted and, found, and founded in Christ and his death and resurrection from the dead. That God's great mercy that he prophesied and promised through the prophets has now been fulfilled. Not only was it being fulfilled in Peter's day, but it's also continuing to be fulfilled today. 
that God's grace, they searched and carefully investigated God's will and plan of salvation, hoping it was going to be their day that Christ came and their day that the Messiah came, that Christ's sufferings and subsequent glories of resurrection and, and being seated at the right hand of the Father would happen in their day. That's why they were inquiring when the Messiah was going to come and who that Messiah was going to be. And the Spirit of Christ was in them when they were investigating, when they were writing about these things, which speaks of the authoritative and inerrancy of their prophecy, that their prophecies were true and accurate because it was by the Holy Spirit. So we can put trust in the Old Testament's understanding and prediction of Christ Jesus and his work on the cross. It's so fascinating with that they prophesied, Isaiah, Jeremiah, all the prophets from the Old Testament were prophesying about the, the fulfillment of God's salvation. And so when Peter's writing to these Christians, these exiles, these aliens in the Roman Empire, he's saying that God, through the Old, through the Old Testament prophets, prophesied about this day. This day was, was about... The day of fulfillment is happening right now. That they're actually serving you. What they were intending for, hoping for themselves, was actually intended for you through the Spirit of Christ. And now it's being announced to you through those who preach to proclaim the gospel, who are also inspired by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. That the fulfillment of God's great promises are coming true before their own eyes. What's, what's is so great about this is that uh, if you've been overseas, if you've, if you've been able to be a part of an international mission trip, you're actually seeing what Old Testament prophets prophesied like thousands upon thousands of years ago through the Holy Spirit. That the gospel would be proclaimed, that, God would, that Christ would come to the world, he would save sinners from their sins, he would, he would redeem them and, and give them justification, right, and sanctify them. And, and then, and, but not only would he give it to the Jews, but he'd give it to the Gentiles as well. That was prophesied thousands upon thousands of years ago. So when you go overseas or when you hear about a story of someone coming to faith in Jesus Christ, that was something that the Old Testament prophets waited to see. Isn't that so cool? It says even the angels long to see God's saving plan fulfilled. The angels in heaven are marveling at what God has done in Christ. And they're continuing to marvel when a sinner comes to saving grace. That's why Luke 15 is so significant because it says that the, the joy of heaven when, a, when someone has repented and come to faith, right? It, it speaks of their, their marveling. They, the angels don't experience salvation the way we do, but yet they marvel from afar what God is doing and look forward to what God continues to do and, and look forward to when, God's, when Christ is revealed at the end. And we... Unlike the Old Testament prophets, unlike the angels, experience that great plan of salvation now. We experience it now. We have joy now. When you're going through suffering and trials, you can have joy in it. Because why? Because you've been born again to a living hope, to an inheritance, according to God's great mercy. And this should, the, 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 the concert of people, the concert of creatures who have joy right now, is un you can't number them. 
You think of the Old Testament prophets, you think of the angels, think of us, the joy that we have because God has saved, that God has brought salvation in the world, and that we all await the completion of God's saving plan, right? It's not done yet. It hasn't been fulfilled yet. We are still actually, us individually are progressively what? Moving towards salvation. I mean, f- uh, the completion of our salvation uh, as we are being sanctified, as we're becoming more like Christ. And we will, not, we will not be fully like Christ until Christ returns. So I want to encourage you, especially with the idea of contentment, to, to understand that who you are in Christ, that you've been saved by Christ, that you have been caused to be born again to a living hope, to a, an inheritance that's kept in heaven for you, that you have been given as salvation, that you can have joy regardless of what's going on in your life. That you can have joy. Not because life is somehow better today than it was yesterday. Not because somehow you have more things in your life, like more possessions that make you happy, or that you have a better job and you're making more money than that makes you happy. No, no, you have joy. Why? Because you have Christ. That's significant. And people need to hear that joy because here's what the problem is with the world. We're, people are defining who they are by their feelings. They go, I need something to hold on to. So what they do, they hold on to things that aren't rooted in anything. Like, you think of Christmas. People love Christmas. Why do people love Christmas? Makes no sense. Why do they love Christmas? They don't even believe in Jesus. Why do they love Christmas? Because Christmas gives them something to grasp onto that says it gives them hope, right? It gives them feelings of love and joy and peace, even though it's not grounded in anything. Well, when Christmas goes away, they're left with nothing. It's gone. Joy is not defined by a holiday. It happens once a year. Joy is defined by faith in Christ Jesus. And that is significant. And people need to hear that important truth. They need to hear that in your life as you express what's going on in your life. Let me uh, pray for us um, as we end. And uh, hopefully you enjoy uh, as we go through 1 Peter. And I think uh, it will be helpful to us and encouragement to us once a month. So let's pray together before we leave. Lord, we praise you for this uh, this evening of of worship and being in your word. Uh, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that we have saving grace in Christ Jesus, and that is the foundation of our joy. Regardless of what's going on around us, regardless if there's a pandemic of global uh, precedence, Lord, even if we are are struggling with a lot of tasks and overwhelmed, uh, even, Lord, if we have lost our job or, uh, Lord, if, if relationships in our lives are, are in trouble, even when those things change, we know that your will is involved in those situations where we know, Lord, that, uh, that you put us in times of suffering to prove the genuineness of our faith. Lord, I pray, Lord, that in the midst of that, you would give us perspective on who we are in Christ, that you would give us perspective on what we have, which what we have is a living hope. What we have is an inheritance kept in heaven for us, guarded by your power. What we have is salvation from our sins. May that be the center of our joy. May we rejoice because of who we are in Christ. And may that, Lord, may that joy be visible. May people see that joy. And that may be fake. Well, oh, that person's always happy or that person always has a smile on their face. No, may it be real and authentic. Where people say, what is it about you? What, where does your joy come from? And may we, Lord, may through those moments that your spirit would speak through us and we would proclaim the gospel. 
We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for everything you're doing through our church and through the people of this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so, thanks for coming. We're done. I mean, unless, unless Robert wants to sing uh, all, my, all My Tears Are Wiped Away, I think we really could use that song. Yeah. <laughs>